This is the Only Human podcast from Community Radio 4 Z out of Brisbane, Australia. Hi, Jazz, and welcome to Only Human on 4 Z. Thanks so much for having me. Can you tell me a little bit about your background before we get to talk about your book? Yeah, sure. I'm a, a writer, a freelance journalist, and、um, done a lot of work over the years. On a lot of sort of social issues like domestic violence and human trafficking,、um, and I'm also the co-founder of Brisbane's first domestic violence memorial. What what inspired you to start a Brisbane domestic violence memorial?、Uh, well, it was kind of a mix of sort of a, a passion, as I said, for so important social issues, but also、um, it's very close to my heart as well. I grew up in a home with domestic violence, so you know, growing up as a child and witnessing family violence and having a very、um, mentally unstable father really impacted on me. And、uh, when I moved to Brisbane, I sort of started becoming connected with other people who were really passionate about the issue of domestic violence as well. And a friend and I decided in 2016, I think it was, that we really wanted to do something. To permanently honour the lives of of men, women, and children in our city who had been taken to this, because we didn't we th- we thought we could maybe do a fundraiser or something like that, and we did actually end up raising funds as well for women's legal service, but we wanted to create something permanent and something within the city where people, you know, would be passing through that park and they might stop and look at the memorial and actually. You know, ponder on the issue and think about what they can do as well,、mm. um, on a on a personal level in their day to day relationships. Maybe whether that's being a real lifeline to a friend who's struggling or speaking up if they see violence happening against someone. Start yeah, doing more if if they're passionate about the issue, finding ways to 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 help try to change our culture. So, can you tell listeners where the memorial is and is it a focus for events? Yeah, so we launched it in March 2016 in Emma Miller、um, Place. It's just on the corner of Roma Street Parklands, kind of just between the city and and Roma Street. And yeah, we did hold an another event there later in 2016. But of course, Emma Miller Park is very、uh, commonly used for a lot of activist events,、mm. uh, and there are like the、uh, Red Rose Days and that sort of thing. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's good to know that that that. A lot of people are being exposed to your memorial because of where it yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. And we did work alongside、um, Betty from Red Rose Foundation as well, and Sonia Anderson.、Um, she helped us launch and open the memorial.、Um, she's also in my book as well. Become sort of quite good friends with the waterfall as well. It's quite a you know can be quite a peaceful and relaxing place, and we wanted it to be somewhere where people, especially. People like Sonia Anderson, who have lost, you know, a loved one to domestic homicide, can go to a comfortable area and and just honour the memories of those that that have been lost there, and and have something that is like a permanent memorial dedicated to to their family. So, of course,、um, there's probably what about a hundred women die in domestic violence situations in Australia every year. It it used to be, I think, in 2016, the statistics were about. Two a week, roughly.、Mm. Yeah, we we do have very high levels of deaths of women. Of course, there's a lot of men who are also victims of domestic、mm. violence. I guess the part, the hidden part of that statistic is all all of the women and men who don't die and who、mm. may have acquired brain injuries or go、yep. on to have PTSD and depression、mm. for the rest of their lives. Exactly. And that's something else that you've been working on,、mm. isn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think it was the end of 2016. I started thinking about what sort of projects I wanted to work on next after the memorial. And I was thinking, I think I'd, I'd just finished reading a research report from the ABC about the climbing numbers of suicide and self-harm, particularly among youth mm. in Australia. And it really shocked me um, because I, you know, like I have personal experience with this and I know it's a, a huge issue, but I didn't realise just how bad it was and that despite all the government programs, it just seems to be getting worse and worse. Yeah, I decided that I wanted to create something unique that would be a bit of a lifeline to people who maybe don't feel ready yet to go and seek help or they're not sure how to take that first step Mm. um, because there is this huge stigma around speaking out. And I know I I lost my dad to suicide when I was 18 and I, you know, struggled with a lot of suicidal um, thoughts when I was a teenager. I guess a part of of domestic violence that perhaps isn't given as much import as it should is the emotional aspect of that, mm. the emotional abuse that, some, exactly. that often accompanies actual physical violence. Yeah. And that really is a blow to your self-esteem, isn't it? Oh, so much. Because my dad was never physically abusive to me. And so for a long time, I didn't understand what was actually going on in our home. I didn't know there was a name for it, even though he was you know, physically abusive to my mum. And I didn't often witness that, but I found out later on that it sort of went on behind closed doors. Just the emotional and the mental abuse and feeling like I was always walking on eggshells and nothing I ever did was right. And, you know, he would often tell me that, um, you know, I was never going to amount to anything and, and that I was stupid and all these horrible things, ridiculous things like telling me that I was fat and I weighed like, 45 kilos in school (laughs) I think when I finished school I was 45 kilos so I was probably only 40 kilos at the time wasn't very helpful when I was sort of going through puberty and just going into high school and those sort of things and um, yeah so I had zero self-esteem a lot of self-hatred and when I finished school I thought and my dad had passed I thought well you know I'm finally free things will just go back to normal now and I'll just be happy and, you know, live a normal life. And, um, of course, it didn't happen like that because I still had all of this terrible low self-worth and didn't know how to make good decisions about the people I hung out with and so then, you know, put my faith in the wrong sorts of people and and those some of those people took advantage of me in, you know, horrible ways and so it was really a very long journey from for me um, from having depression from the age of 10 and through till probably my late 20s before I really broke that cycle. And, and how did and you do help. that? What, what changed things for you? Um, some of it was a real conscious decision. I remember I must have been around 21 and I'd just been through a really horrible situation with someone that that I had dated sort of on and off for two years and that person um, ended up assaulting me. And I sort of felt at that time that I was never going to be able to trust anyone again and mm. I wasn't sure how I was ever going to move on from, from what happened. But I made a really conscious decision that um, that I needed to, to turn my life around and to, to make better choices and one of those was that I 
I was really lucky to go into a really loving and healthy relationship with a guy that I'd been friends with for a while. And people say, you know, it's very easy for someone to say, oh, you can trust me. <laughs> but people really have to show. They, they really they have, have to, to show it, you. Yeah. And, and we were together for three and a half years and he really proved to me that I could trust someone again and that someone could love me for who I was without any, you know, selfish, you know, agendas or anything like that. Was that hard for you? Because I've heard that people often repeat the relationships that they learned yeah. as a child. And when you've seen what happened to your mother, did that affect your yeah. like, relationship you expected for yourself? I always said, oh, I'll never choose someone like my dad. And I didn't choose someone who was, you know, physically abusive in that form, but I... I chose guys who were often emotionally unavailable or who just didn't respect me. And then I'd be heartbroken and wonder why it didn't work out, you know. <laughs> and and there were a few other things I did on my journey, like seeking some professional help. So, um, yeah, like I said, I, I really wanted to create something that helped other people who've gone through tough times like me. Um, when I think back about, you know, my teenage years and how... I often felt so suicidal and so hopeless um, and helpless and didn't know how to tell anyone about things that were happening at home. And when you're a teenager, school kind of feels like your whole life. You don't realize that there's going to be this whole new life after school and new memories to make and new friends and experiences. And, um, you know, if I'd given up back then, I never would have gone on to discover like all the things that I'm really passionate about now I, I wouldn't have you know found um you know the the man that would become my husband I wouldn't have my child I wouldn't have written this book I wouldn't have traveled overseas all the amazing experiences that I've had and I really wanted to show other people through you know real lived experiences and other people's stories that wherever you are in your journey it's not where you have to stay if you're going through a really tough time you're not going to be there forever. You can find your way out of that place of darkness. And it all starts with, with just making a conscious decision every day to just keep pushing forward. Mm. And that could just be as simple as going, I'm going to get myself out of bed today, even though I really want to stay here and kind of, you know, in, in the comfort of, you know, my depression, because sometimes you do get very comfortable there. Um, and sometimes it's as simple as going, I'm going to push myself to get out of bed and I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to go and see a friend because I really need to get out of the house and, and just clear my mind. Mm. And sometimes that can be the first step on your journey to, to making, you know, other steps towards your healing. Yeah. Cause when you're depressed, you often don't want to interact with mm. other people because they might want to ask you why yeah. you're so down. Yeah. And, and sometimes exactly. there's not an easy answer to that if you're yeah. not clear about it yourself. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. So I decided that I would interview a whole heap of women and men from around Australia and ask them about, you know, their experiences and what helped them on their journey, you know, what didn't help, um, what their advice is to other people and why they're glad that they pushed through those tough times. So in the end, um, it was about a year long process and I ended up interviewing um, nine other people, but I ended up putting my um, a little bit of my story in there. And then added another nine stories as well. And um, so tell us about the people that you interviewed. How did you manage to find so many people? Yeah, well, it was it was a bit of a challenge. Some of them I already knew from work I'd done, um, you know, as a writer and 
uh, freelancing and things like that. Um, of course, as I said, I, I already knew Sonia Anderson and I know her story is so incredible. Um, you know, she lost her daughter Bianca to domestic homicide. I just can't imagine how painful it must be to lose a child, let alone to murder. And her story is one that's so inspiring because not only has she found her way back to, you know, a, a really purposeful and passionate life, but everything she does is in honour of Bianca's memory. Mm. And she has changed so many laws in our country and especially here in Queensland to make this world a better place. So her work um, was instrumental in changing the laws to make yeah. regulation uh, illegal or a... Well, she worked really, I think it was with um, the Palaszczuk government. Mm. Uh, Yeah, she's done a lot of work with our politicians to make bail laws tougher for domestic violence offenders. And she also does work, I think she's worked with Crime Stoppers and other police organisations to um, bring awareness to the fact that strangulation is often a precursor to exactly. death yeah. further down the track. So sometimes somebody... It's a warning sign, isn't it? Yeah, somebody could die and people, you know, somebody might pass away and they might think that it's for any number of reasons, not realising that that person had actually been a victim of either ongoing strangulation or had been strangled months prior. Mm. Um, so it, it the, the increase in um, fatality and is just phenomenal. So she's been doing a lot of um, research and awareness around that. And she also works with the Red Rose Foundation. So she yeah. had her own struggles with depression with all that happened to her? Yeah, yeah. So she went through really dark times where she actually considered ending her life as well because she wasn't sure how to live without her daughter. And um, and other things that she was going through, she talks about, you know, uh, issues that she was having with with workplace bullying and um on top of everything and and it was just too much she was like people see she said people see me as this really vivacious and confident person they didn't know how much I was struggling every day just to get out of bed and then to have this bullying going on on top of everything else was just too much and um yeah she said people would sort of look at her and go oh you you wouldn't be someone who'd take your own life because you've got other children and you've got grandchildren but she said it doesn't it doesn't work like that when you're in that mindset you don't you don't well you don't look at things logically you don't think often I can't do this because I'll hurt you know people who love me you're you're just trying to think of a way to stop the pain yeah yeah which is a really common thread with a lot of the other stories in the book but she found her strength didn't Mm. she yeah, she did. And and everything she does, like she really draws her strength from honouring her daughter's memory and, and continuing her legacy to help, you know, victims of domestic violence. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And so, because uh, we're on Triple Z, you've got a couple of mm-hmm. musicians in the book. Tell us about them. Yeah, so I interviewed um, Alfresh Lion and he talked to me about growing up with, uh, you know, really high levels of anxiety and and how that impacted on his career to the point where he actually he he could have missed out on all of the you know success that he's had and all of the amazing opportunities because um he he said he used to get so anxious that he couldn't eat for days leading up to a show and in the beginning stages where he was just doing a show here and there 
he could kind of get away with that and he said he'd he'd be exhausted and he'd he'd just use all of his energy on stage and then he'd need a week to recover because he was he was so weak from not being able to eat and being so anxious on the leader. But then once he started getting these, you know, national and international tours where he had to do show after show every night, mm. he, he suddenly realized, well, like, crap, how am I going to do this? Like, I don't know how to, like, I can't not eat for a week. You know? So he had to address his anxiety. Yeah, he's managed to push through that anxiety, which could have held him back from his whole career. Mm. Um but yeah, one thing that he says in his chapter is that it's really important to find the right people to talk to. You know, we talk a lot about how it's important to speak out and not to hold your feelings in. And that's so true. But you really do need to find those people who will be your support space and really hold that space for you to be vulnerable and honest. Mm. And that was a bit of a learning curve for him. He had some people along the way who would tell him, oh, just get over it, you know, just man up. It's not that bad. You know, what have you got to be anxious about? That kind of thing. And that's just not a helpful statement, <laughs> no, is it? not really helpful. So, and we have so many men who are dying, you know, through depression and suicide. And I really want men to know as well that it's not weak to, to speak out you know, my dad really struggled with that and that's why he mm. took his life in the end because he wouldn't even take something natural. He wouldn't even take natural supplements or vitamins because to take anything was to admit, he thought, that he had that he was weak and he wasn't in control. So, Can we talk a little bit yeah. about uh, Renee Redingus? Mm. Is that how you pronounce his name? Um, I think it's Redingus. Redingus. Because um, Aboriginal youth suicide is one of the... Mm biggest problems happening in Australia at the moment, a huge, hugely bigger group dying of suicide and young children, even as young Mm. as 12, are are committing suicide. Could you tell us a little bit bit about Renee's story? Yeah, so I really wanted to have an Aboriginal voice in the book as well. That was very important to me. Um, So it actually took me ages to find someone. I just, you know, I just couldn't. And I don't know whether that's because of, firstly, the male stigma and then secondly, you know, probably even harder to to find a lot of Aboriginal men that would be willing to speak out. Mm. So then I found this report that the ABC had done on a little town in Western Australia called Leonora, where pretty much everybody there has been touched by suicide in some way. Um, you pretty much can't find a single person who hasn't either lost a family member, you know, or knows someone who's been lost to suicide. And one of those people was Renee, who'd lost, yeah, multiple loved ones and family members and and so he's gone on to overcome his depression yeah and so suicide with by founding a, a transcend initiatives mm, so he works with a lot of youth now around around western australia but in the book he talks about how even though he'd gone through some really tough times gro- growing up like with racism and having his family um you know seeing his family uh, his parents divorce he was always pretty good and um, he was married and he was actually the support, you know, person for his wife when she was going through tough times. And then one day he was just walking home from um, work, I think, he was walking to the train station and he was jumped by a whole group of people and um, a group of guys started attacking him and um, 
he just said that there was a woman that was in the group as well and she kind of got his attention and distracted him and while he was looking away at her these guys just set in on him and was he, it a race motivated attack um i think it, i think it might have been yeah or who knows maybe they were just maybe they were just i don't know awful people but i think it was racially motivated and he talks about how he he felt you know this person pounding their fist into his head and then all of a sudden he looked down and, and saw blood and realized that it was actually a knife going into his head. And um, they they left and he lay there, you know, convinced that he was going to die. Um, and then this lady came along and saw him and just was like, oh, "Get in the car. I'm going to take you to. I'm going to take you to to a doctor or a hospital." And um, he was just convinced he was going to die, and he was like, "I I need to, you know." say my farewells and those sorts of things and um she she got him to um I think it was a a doctor but they had just closed and so he was just like I'm gonna die you know and then they managed to get someone to call an ambulance and ambulance arrived just in time and he said the poor ambulance worker was just shitting himself because he was like he was convinced that he wasn't going to be able to save this guy's life um and somehow they did miraculously. But he he talks about how even though his physical scars went on to heal, he was then left with all this emotional and mental trauma um, that he hadn't experienced before. And suddenly he couldn't be the support person for his wife anymore because he was dealing with really bad depression and PTSD from the attack. Mm. And it got so bad that um, there were several occasions where he tried to take his life and on one occasion he swerved in front of a truck and only only just got out of he sort of just came to his senses at the last minute and pulled out of the way and then he just went to work the next day like nothing had happened and nobody knew what he was going through and he just kept it to himself and so yeah he talks about how staying silent almost cost him his life and he was very lucky on several occasions that people either called him on the phone or rocked up to his house unknowing, you know, with no idea of what he was going through, but they turned up at that exact moment where he was about to take his life. So he it, was It really able to... highlights the need to uh, check in with mm. carers of people too, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Because yeah. he's giving care to his wife but yeah. needing care himself and not mm. acknowledging it. And so he had broken up with his uh, – his marriage had broken up at that point, which was why he was so low. Mm. Um and, you know, so he talks about, you know, everything that, that came, the whole follow-on, flow-on effect of what happened after that attack and then how he started his healing journey and how connecting to country and, you know, reconnecting with his, his cultural and spiritual, you know, uh, things that were important to him and his background, you know, on a cultural level and his spirituality, it really helped him on his journey and little by little he managed to pull himself out of that dark place and he talks about you know the I won't you know spoil all the story but yeah he talks about the things that that helped him and how he came to forgive the people that attacked him and ended up founding Transcend Initiatives and now working with youth. So you can read his story in the Mm. book Reasons to Live One More Day Every Day. So tell us where people can get your book uh, and it's by Jazz Rawlinson. (laughs) (laughs) So they can grab a copy on my website jazzrawlinson.com that's J-A-S-R-A-W-L-I-N-S-O-N 
You are listening to the Only Human podcast. Only Human is a weekly program on social justice, disability rights, psychology, social research and mental wellness. You can listen in Brisbane on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM and set digital on DAB Plus radios. Love community media? You can support 4ZZZ by subscribing or making a donation at 4ZZZFM.org.au.